Hello listeners and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Trend Talks. It wasn't a question of if, but when a season 2 episode would be dedicated to economics and inflation, given the attention it has been receiving in the past months. Issues of supply and demand have been dominating the news on all media platforms. And joining me today is Ian Abella, our internal economist and advisory manager. Hi Ian. Good morning Liz. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me this morning. Ian, my first question. Economics has been dominating the news for the past months, with inflation in certain countries reaching levels that we haven't seen from the 70s and 80s, and analysts speaking a lot of market volatility. What do you make of all of this? So, as you rightly said, at the moment, inflation is on everyone's lips. You hear it in the news, you hear it in the media. Um, We're ushering in what can be called the new economic era after a decade of low inflation and easy monetary policy and low interest rates. We're seeing inflation peaking at rates we haven't seen for the past 40 years. As a result, central banks have started to increase rates after about 10 years of easing monetary policy to increase rates, making borrowing more expensive. This has profound implications on markets, so we see that What what does this mean? This means that governments are borrowing at a more expensive rate. It means that when you go take a loan, it's more expensive. It means that uh, markets are becoming more volatile. We we, we see that market volatility tends to follow these sort of uh, big changes in in, in interest rates. It has implications as well in the world of corporate finance. Why? Because uh, government interest rates represent what we know as the risk-free rate. That rate of borrowing which a return on something which for which there is no risk that affects valuations it affects the stock market which is why we saw some jitters on the on, on the stock market in the, in the first half of 22 in fact if you have to look at and sort of an index which tracks volatility in the market if you have to invest in something called the VIX index you'll find that that index has outperformed the S&P 500 over the first six months which indicate which is a, a proof if you like of, of the volatility that we're seeing yes, it's a confirmation Mm-hmm. In your view, what is causing all this inflation? So, is it something permanent? Is it temporary, sort of? Um, and what are the risks that this inflation poses? So, inflation, if we were to go back to the theory, what we learn in economics is that inflation can have two causes. We can split them. Cost push and demand pull. On the one side, you've got the demand, you've got the demand side, so, so this stems primarily from the recovery from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's a situation where, if we remember two years ago, we remember there were lockdowns, there were restrictions, mm-hmm. you couldn't go to the restaurant, you couldn't go, you couldn't catch a plane. You, mm-hmm. There were a lot of restrictions. People still had money being saved up. Some people, okay, might, might, might have had less than they had before, mm-hmm. but people still had money, but nowhere to spend it. Okay. So a situation of what we call pent-up demand, demand is building up, but nowhere to go. Suddenly, restrictions start being lifted, slowly, and supply tries to catch up with demand. But when you have a situation where demand is more elastic than supply, so supply is, in a la- we mean inelastic, we mean it takes a while to respond, mm-hmm. it means that something's got to give, and that's prices normally. That pushes up prices. Okay, and so, what is, if, if I may ask, um, what is delaying the, the supply availability? So, ultimately, two, you can look at it two ways. You have the, 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 the health restrictions, obviously, which everyone had to adhere to. So uh, an example, restaurants can open up to 50% capacity. So you have the same service offering, but cut by half. Okay. So 
supply is restricted, supply goes down. When supply goes down, price goes up. Mm -hmm. That's one. Two, we have the situation that, they, that uh, suppliers have to make up for lost, for lost business activity over the past three, six months. To make up for it, what do you have to do? You can raise prices. So this is the demand side of why prices were going up in, in the, the post-pandemic recovery. However, so the only thing, um, besides that, that, that aspect, there's also the monetary policy side. What does monetary policy mean? It means interventions by central banks. So when the pandemic struck in early 2020, the Federal Reserve, the, the Central Bank of America, was quick to, uh, to decrease, to slash its interest rates rather from about 1.75 to 0.25. So what does that mean? That means there's more liquidity in the economy. It doesn't mean people are richer. It just means that central banks are pumping more money, more liquidity. Think of it like uh, when you oil an engine. So okay. you add oil to an engine to make, it, uh, to make it work a bit better. There's more liquidity going around, but less goods and services to spend your money on. So, in fact, Milton Friedman used to say the definition of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Okay. So, so that's a situation where you have too much liquidity and not enough goods going around. Okay. Ultimately, the sort of the, the, the laws of economics point towards prices to rise when that happens. Okay. Um, if I had to wear a bit the consumer hat, um, I'm hearing a lot the impact of the Ukraine war as well in the prices exactly. and the supply. Yeah. Yeah. How Agreed. does this fit in in what you're saying? Agreed. So that was the demand side. Okay. The demand side inflation, uh, demand pull, it's called. And there is cost push, which is the, which is the one what I was coming to, which gets probably much more attention in the media and people can relate to it much more. Mm -hmm. So you have, in my opinion, you, have, you can split the cost push inflation side into two in this case. You've got supply chain disruptions which we're seeing across the globe. So it's difficult to buy something from abroad because it gets stuck in transit and, and, and there's bottlenecks. So that's the supply side, uh, the supply chain disruptions. And then there is also Ru Russia's war with Ukraine, which has severely impacted the supply of certain uh, items such as foods and energy, which obviously when supply goes down, prices go up. And that is what really kicked off the inflation that we're seeing in, let's say, quarter two of mm -hmm. 2022. There was inflation before the war, the war made it quicker. Mm -hmm. made it I faster. think it's, uh -huh. from a consumer perspective, it's much more visible and clear exactly. now. Exactly. So from, from, from when, you, when you go buy food at, at the supermarket, you're seeing prices go up now because of what's happening mm -hmm. ultimately with all these things, but more, maybe more so more recently with the war in Ukraine. In fact, on this, on this note, um, when we look at forecasts of inflation, analysts are predicting that inflation will remain strong in 2022 and ease start to start to slow down in 23. Now I would split that into into two if you like. So you've got the services and goods, normally you know, like going out to eat and stuff like that, which it would make sense that it would ease into 2023 because, because mm -hmm. supply catches up with demand. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the when it comes to food specifically and to energy. These depend more on geopolitical events going on around us, which are notoriously more difficult to forecast. Mm -hmm. So, so on that side of the food and energy side of inflation, it's un very unclear in 2023 if that will subside or not. Mm. We'll have to wait and see, man. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Moving on to a slightly different um, question, um, governments. We have seen that um, all around the world there has been an increase in expenditure as a result of the pandemic, which you mentioned. How does this stress, you know, the the, the economies? Exactly, it's, it's just right. So I would argue that after inflation, so or besides inflation, the next big thing we'll be talking about is government spending, for three reasons. 
you've got, first of all, government spending has been increasing, and we all know that. As of the pandemic, more, more economic stimulus needs to be handed out, you collect less revenue, and you need to pump the economy. Also, the cost of borrowing on that debt is increasing. As we were saying, interest rates are going up, which means government has to pay more on the amount that they borrow. So not only is the borrowing larger, but the amount you pay on it is higher. And lastly, you also have um, GDP growth, which is slowing. And why is that important? Because we tend to we tend to assess how sustainable government debt is by comparing it to the size of the economy. So if you're a, if, if if government debt if government spending grows, it outpaces, it grows faster than the economy the, the, the size of the economy, then that becomes a bit of an unsustainable situation. In fact, if we're I don't know, taking a case in point, take Italy for example. So if you were to look at the, the, the borrowing spread on Italian bonds versus German bonds, you'll find that, okay, both German bonds and Italian bonds went up, but Italian bonds became relatively more expensive than they were before to the German bonds. So the spread has grown over the past three months or so. Why? Because Italy happens to have a higher debt to GDP ratio, so it has more debt as a size of its economy than Germany. It has about 1.5 times the size of the economy in debt, the Italian economy, which makes then its interest rates even higher. So it compounds the matter. So it makes it more difficult to sustain. And this becomes one of the talking points as to Italy as the third largest member of the Eurozone and, and, and sort of the sustainability of its debt going forward. So higher interest rates add this, this, this pressure to, to, to fiscal sustainability. Okay, so if I'm understanding you well, although we're saying that inflation has hit practically all Europe, um, then depending um, on different countries, sort of the impact might be less or more. Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, the, the, the impact of the interest rates will be less or more depending on how much uh, debt, debt you, you, you have. On the other hand, you, you do make a good point in that having a lot of inflation actually does help in, in and of itself government debt because it means that that debt is in, in, in real terms is, is, is lower. But, but um, it, it's a, a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been following the news and I noticed that um, the euro has reached parity with the dollar. And if I recall correctly, it's been around 20 years um, that this has happened. Um, what does this mean? Is it good? Is this, is this a cause for concern? So, yeah, the, the, there's been a lot of mention in the news recently about this euro-dollar parity. What does it mean? It's it means that. that for the first time in, in about 20 years, the euro is tra was trading at close to one is to one with the dollar. Now. The, if you were to Google it, you'd find a lot of articles about how this could be a big problem. It means that uh, people are interpreting it as a negative outlook for the European economy for the medium term, short term. As a result of the Ukraine war, uh, analysts are saying that, um, or, or some of the theories are that because of the war, there'll be a restriction on supply of gas or gas rationing, which means that prices will go up a lot, which means that consumers can spend less on other things which leads to a slowdown in economic activity and therefore puts downward pressure on the euro. That's one school of thought, um, which, which obviously, I mean, it, it has its logic to it. However, on the other hand, the story of the euro-dollar parity is also a story of a strengthening dollar. It's not just a weakening euro. Okay. In fact, if you were to, to analyze the movements of major currencies, so the euro, the, the sterling and the Japanese yen, against the dollar, you'd find that's not only the euro, which declined, but all three currencies declined. 
So, so it's okay that the, the euro gets more attention because it happened to come one is to one mm -hmm. and we live in the eurozone. Mm -hmm. But it's also the Japanese currency, the, the British currency, which is losing value against the dollar. Or rather, the, the dollar is strengthening against them. Why, why would and, that uh, I was going to ask you for the same reason or yes. there's an explanation, so, which is... Um, I would say, ultimately, I would say the reasons are similar because it's a strengthening dollar, which is, story of, which is why. why. Why is that? The Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of, of America, was one of the first and the, the strongest to react to rising inflation by increasing its interest rates. So when the American Central Bank increases interest rates, it makes it more worth it to invest in dollar, to put, to put, it, to put it bluntly. Uh, so what we say in economics, hot money follows where the interest rates are higher. So investors move their money instead of in one currency to another, and they flock to the dollar. That pushes up demand for dollar, pushes up the value of the dollar. That's one. Two, um, whenever we're in periods of market volatility and uncertainty, which I'd say at the moment is quite high, uh, investors tend to flock to you know uh, the with the largest currency in the world, basically, which is the dollar. So, so that's two reasons why the dollar is doing so well. Or, or uh, I mean, well, that's maybe the wrong word to use because, because it's, it's good for some people and bad for others. If I am planning a holiday, if I'm European, I'm planning a holiday to the United States. It's more expensive for me to go to the United States, so maybe I won't go. So it's bad for. Certain industries, it makes tourism more expensive mm -hmm. for, for people, people to go to America. I'll postpone my trip then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe wait till the euro gets a bit uh, back, back to where it was. Mm -hmm. I will. <laughs> uh, we have been speaking and mentioning quite a number of different countries um, right now. If we had to move back to our rock now, to Malta, um, from what we hear around us, um, despite the clouds, the local GDP growth remains quite robust. Um, and also unemployment, the unemployment rate is quite low. Um, are we being immune of what's happening around us or certain decisions have been taken that are now helping us in the situation? So, so it's interesting to look at the case of Malta. Um, over here, Malta is definitely not immune. So that's the answer to your, to your last question. Malta is not immune to what's going on around us because we are a small and open economy. We're, what do we mean when I say open? If you were to take Malta's exports and imports, add them together, it's larger than Malta's GDP as a whole. So Malta is a country which trades immensely with its, uh, with its, with its partners. Um, it's a small economy. It's vulnerable to external shocks. That is a fact. Um, on the other hand, we do get this... Um, well, the data shows that Malta's inflation rate, headline inflation rate, is lower than, than our European peers, or at least for the past two months has been lower than them. When you look at it a bit deeper, however, it doesn't mean that there's no inflation in Malta. There is inflation in Malta. It's just that energy prices, so specifically petrol, diesel, electricity rates, are, have been kept fixed, which has kept that component of the whole basket mm -hmm. down. But if you were to strip that component no, out no, no, and look no. at what is called the inflation, HICP inflation, excluding energy, you'll find that our rate is higher than, okay. than, 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 than other European countries. So when you exclude the effect of inflation, we're definitely, yeah, our services are going up. We, we've all seen it before our own eyes. Restaurants more expensive, food more expensive, um, goods are more expensive, just like other countries. But actually the data, when you, when you analyze it a bit, you'll find that Malta's protected a bit through the exactly. exactly so so we have one component of the five if you like because we should mm -hmm. like to split it up into five the energy component is protected now the big question is how long can that be protected for and that once that is starts to go to maybe more to to, to market rates 
then our inflation will be just like up here, as if not more. Uh, on the other hand, you do mention GDP growth, so Malta's um, uh, GDP growth has been actually quite quite impressive. So the first quarter of 2022 was impressive uh, GDP growth compared to European partners after a 2021 of, 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 of strong recovery. So the recovery was even built on in 2022. Um, and unemployment does remain low. So in that sense, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's a feather in our cap. True. Um, so as a firm, we always try, you know, to find a positive approach. We have a can-do attitude. So my next question is, okay, we're facing challenging times, but we try to find opportunities in anything happening around us. In this case, in your view, what are the opportunities? So it's, it's a bit of a, it's a difficult question in the sense that at the moment you only hear is bad news. Um, but the Maltese economy has a funny habit of maintaining its resilience uh, during challenging times. So if we think back to the financial crisis in 2008, uh, yeah, 2008, 2009, and the ensuing Great Recession, Malta outperformed its its European peers over there. Our GDP, our GDP actually grew in that time, um, and unemployment did not reach the levels we saw elsewhere. This time it's different. This time we have a different situation. So, so there's inflation. There wasn't inflation back then. Interest rates are now rising. So we're going to a period of higher interest rates, not lower. But still, um, opportunities remain. And for example, if you were to take take as an example the tourism sector, mm -hmm. in 2021 our tourism sector basically reached about 50% of the capacity that it had pre-pandemic. So there's still another 50% to go. Mm -hmm. So think how of the recovery achieved in 2021. There's still half the way to a go. Lot of potential. Still a lot of potential on the tourism side. Another aspect, our, our, our banking system remains largely profitable and well capitalized, which is something which is a very important ingredient when dealing with foreign ex uh, external financial shocks, something, something which, which helped help. us in 2008 and which I believe will continue to help us going forward. Lastly, or uh, thirdly, I would say on the fiscal side, although... We, we, our, our, our budget, our deficit is growing and our debt to GDP ratio is growing, it still remains below this famous 60% threshold, which, which the European Commission likes to, likes to refer to. Malta, Malta maintains quite enviable fiscal maneuverability compared to <laughs> its European peers because um, uh, other countries don't have, the, uh, they have jet debt to GDP ratio, which is higher than 60. Ours is below. No. So we still have place um, where, 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 to, where to move. Maneuverability in terms of, in terms of not having to increase taxes maybe just yet, in terms mm -hmm. of intervening in the energy market. So wh while this needs to be maintained and looked at going forward, and I think a lot of our attention is going to focus on there, on the time of the budget, mm -hmm. and, and, and 2023 will be looking at this, this fiscal side. For now, we remain with this maneuverability, which, which, is, which, is, mm -hmm. which is very important in aiding our recovery as we go forward. Mm -hmm. So I understand well that um, identifying the right industries to grow, to focus in as a country will obviously support um, our, our growth going definitely. forward. And ultimately, I think the solution, as always, but maybe more so than ever, lies in our human capital, resources, our people. 100%. And um, uh, their, their, uh, their, their spirit to keep going, even in times, of, times like these. Very good ending, I would say. <laughs>
Our time is up, Ian. Thank you very much for the interesting conversation and insight. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Very topical. And uh, thank you as well to our listeners for tuning in to this episode.